We're going to do a little bit of work on those verses because it appears God could be perceived as the genie in Aladdin, right? Did you see that there? But we know that's not totally accurate, but he is a good and loving Heavenly Father, and he does give liberally. So let me pray, and then we'll dive in for a few moments here. I might need water, so if someone hears my throat go, can you just, thanks, Russ, yeah, thank you. The preemptive water, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this place. Thank you for your son and what he's taught us for a long time, but specifically in the last few months through the Sermon on the Mount about um, the good news for people just like us and about how not to objectify people and how to begin to deal with anger and urges for retaliation and all the things that we go through. I hope you would honor yourself today. Let your word come forth and Jesus speak to our hearts in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen. Last couple weeks, you're back. Thank you for not feeling judged. If you weren't here, we talked about judging the last two weeks. And uh, my advice from Jesus was don't judge. Plain as day. Especially those outside the church. Jesus and Paul. Remember that combo? Boom, boom, right, left. What are you doing, Paul would say. I'm not going to judge them outside the faith. I have enough issues with you, the Corinthian church. Remember that? And then Jesus said, I know sometimes you must discern and make judgments, but do so. Thanks, Russ. You're the man. Do so with all the mercy you can, right? Be very merciful when you judge. Sorry, I got to do it. It's bad, right? Even Fiji water, Russ? It's so nice of you. Dang. Look at Russ throwing down. That's very nice. And now we come to this passage in Matthew 7, 7, talking about asking, seeking, knocking, giving, receiving. And we go, as Americans, what do we say? Yes. That's what I'm talking about. We got to it. I endured the judging. I endured the anger. I endured all those other passages to get to asking, seeking, knocking. So Matthew 7, 7. Here we go. Layla just read it, but let's just see it. Jesus says this. Still Teaching this sermon, I don't know how he was preaching, though he was preaching, he was teaching. Ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. Many of us know that verse, we've heard that verse over and over. What does it mean? What am I to do as a struggling believer, doubt-filled at times? Me too, I doubt sometimes, even the pastor, right? What do I do with this? I'm going to tell you what not to do in a minute, and many preachers on TV will tell you to do the opposite. This is one of the hallmark verses of things like the prosperity gospel, and we'll talk about that briefly, because I'm not going to rail too much. We'd rather go to what Jesus really means, right? For everyone, verse 8, who asks, receives. Yes! That's good, right? Dave Bray, you want a new car? (laughs) That would be nice. And the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. This is the fun part. Verse 9. Or which of you, if his son or daughter asks him for bread, will give him or her a stone? Jesus is so literal, and it's so like, duh. Verse 10. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent or a snake? That would freak somebody out, right? That's a good parenting trick. Next time they disobey and they ask for the iPhone, give them a cobra. See what happens there. 
It's either you will never see them again or that will be the best parenting lesson of all time, right? So Jesus, again, Jesus, just like the log in the eye, he wants us to just do what you just did. Jesus wants us to laugh sometimes. You understand that? Growing up in church, sometimes I was like, if I laugh, if it's not 100% perfect and pure, it'll be a sin. Okay, there's some truth at that. We shouldn't follow around coarse jokes and sour words. We hear that. But Jesus wants you to chuckle when you hear that from him because nobody would do that. And then he says what? You being evil, is this verse 11? Yeah. And that simply means, yeah, we've missed God's mark. We're sinners. We're flawed. We're fallible. We are not infinite. God is. There's, Jesus is making the parallel between God's infinite goodness and our not. So he says, if you, being not God, is what he's really trying to say, know how to good, good, give good gifts, how would you expect or why do you expect less of your heavenly father? Oh. Because a lot of us have grown up in church, small c, where we almost adhere to the poverty gospel. Well, good things can't happen to me because God doesn't work that way. Now, there's some liberty, but we have to be in the train tracks. We can't get too far on either side. But think about that. God says, Dave Johnson, you're a decent father. You are a sinner. You've fallen short. You're evil, me. I've been forgiven by the blood of Christ and received into God's family by his mercy alone. But even as a fallen father, I know how to be a good giving father. There's nothing more precious than when a human being, out of their own goodwill, not beholden or with manipulation or different tactics, not in a lustful way, because we talked about that, gives generously. Amen? We are doing the Father's business. That's why it feels so right, and you can walk in truth and grace, knowing this is what God's about. If you ever don't believe that God is a giving God, remember the cross. He gave himself. Here I am. So this is part of God's makeup. He is generous. He gives. And the gifts he gives are wonderful, but like we've been learning in the Sermon on the Mount, they are usually completely upside down from what the world says as a good, what? Gift. Knew a guy one time, still know him, but I knew him closer back then. He went to the prices right and won the showcase. That's awesome, right? He won a trip to China. He won a trip to the Dodgers baseball camp. We prayed for him. That's bad. I think he pulled two groins, so we're like, yes, you know what I mean, when he went and ran around. And he won a boat, but he took the cash instead of the boat because he didn't have a place to keep the boat. We all said, that is awesome. Some people in the room were actually at the prices right when they were there. And everyone was like, what? That is awesome. Reflecting four years later, it was one of the worst things that ever happened to him financially. Because the trips were great, but what did the IRS do in 18 months? You received $55,000 in gifts. You got $18,000 for us? That's just life, though. So sometimes, the way our world is structured, we see good things. And those are good things. They're gifts. And he was okay because he saw some of it and he managed. But it was just a, it's a tough thing to go, oh, right? Oh, no. So the grass isn't always greener, especially when we look outside and see the world system. 
I said God is the giver of good gifts, and I won't throw you under the bus. So while in my office preparing this week, the first thing I thought of was, I'd really love to have a new car, just like I said with Dave. I'd really love to have a new, huh. And my mind is trained because I'm evil, I'm fallen, but because of where I live, my mind is trained to go certain somewhere. When we did mission work in Sudan for three or four years, the Sudanese people would read this passage and they wouldn't think about a new car. That's why in some ways we learn so much from them, right? They thought about peace and calm in their community because there was war for 30 years. So we just have to understand that and see we don't want to read a Western American value into the scripture. We want to see what Jesus was actually saying back then. And then we let the Holy Spirit come and teach us. As Christians, we are to walk humbly. Part of walking humbly, we learned a couple weeks ago, we are not experts. That's part of walking humbly. No matter how long you walk with Jesus, you're still a disciple or an apprentice. So we know as Christians, there is always room for more truth, more love, more light, more mercy, more grace, more forgiveness, etc., etc., etc. And those are the good things Jesus says, ask for in abundance, because I will open heaven's floodgates and give them to you. If you go home today and ask for a million dollars, I don't know what God's going to do. You might win the price is right. I do know what God will do if you go home and say, Father, this week, show me how to be more merciful to be like Jesus. God will go, are you sure? That's what he'll really say. And he'll go, if you're sure, I got something for you at 9 a.m. tomorrow. I'm just going to try and answer that prayer at the, at the office. So that's what we have to get to. Ultimately, what are the things Jesus is telling his people to ask for. Parallel passage, Luke 11, same passage. Luke records it in a bit of a different way, this Sermon on the Mount. Luke records this almost word for word. We're going to go to Luke 11, 13 in a minute. Luke doesn't record it as one long sermon, but they're kind of talking points in Luke's gospel. And as we know from history, Jesus probably, this was his go-to sermon. Every Preachers should have a go-to sermon in their pocket um, that they can just give, every teacher of the word, right? We should. We should have a go-to testimony. We talked about that. But this is one of Jesus' go-to themes, this Sermon on the Mount. How do I know that? Because it's recorded in Luke in different places, and the historians tell us that this was familiar and a bunch of different reasons. And ultimately, he was teaching us about the kingdom of God, which he was fulfilling. So this was always on his radar. He wanted to teach people about the kingdom. So Luke eleven thirteen. It almost is like verbatim, right? If then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you who? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So Jesus isn't simply talking about material things. I'll give you another backup because I know some of you are like, what do you mean? What did Jesus just spend a couple weeks on us talking about? Anxiety, dealing with stress over material things. And Jesus gave us a couple of examples. The birds don't gather and they're fine. The lilies of the grass, they don't do anything and they're beautiful. How much more does your heavenly father love you and will take care of you? Don't worry about that stuff. 
And he taught us, if we spend our life consumed by materialism, there is no cure for your anxiety. That's America in a lot of ways. It's coming up, gang. Black what is coming up? Friday. There are companies, real quick, Pastor Rant, who want us to feel inadequate and bad, as bad parents and bad people if we don't buy their product on Thursday, November 26th. Why do I know it's that day? Shameless plug. On Saturday, oh, sorry, Friday, November 26th. On Saturday, November 27th, everybody in this room and others are invited to this church. We're going to deck the halls and make this place look beautiful for Christmas. We're going to have chili and homemade soup. I need some cooks and all this fun stuff. So there will be more information about that. But on Black Friday, there are people and systems attempting to make us feel inadequate if we don't lay down the money to fulfill whatever we need to fulfill. Jesus graciously said what? There is no cure for your soul if you choose to live your life like that. Consumerism isn't just the, the last five decades in America. Go study the Roman Empire. <laughs> Go study some of the great empires. The markets and the merchants and the corruption were all over the place. You guys that have studied, you're like, yeah, it's true. It, it, what, it's what happens. So Jesus isn't talking about giving us simply material things when he says, ask, seek, knock. He's talking about giving us himself. And to most of us, that's where we check off. I don't really know that much, and I don't know if I want... That and the Holy Spirit, he's, I don't know much about him. This might be the time to do a, a three-week sermon series on the Holy Spirit and who he is after we finish this before the holidays. Maybe we'll do that. Here's your layman definition from your pastor. If you read about Jesus and if you love who he is and if you love what he stands for in the Bible... Not in your email account when you get from some place in wherever telling you how to vote or whatever. But if you read about Jesus and the Holy Spirit confirms the truth in your heart and you see his grace and love and mercy and influence and power the right way by humbling himself and serving, God promises to give you more of that every time you ask. Because that's who the Holy Spirit is. And we can talk more about that. Maybe we will do a series on the Holy Spirit. I tried to come up with an example. August 9th, 2006. Remember back, 10 years plus. A bunch of crazy Californians, both young and older, not old, never say that, wiser, young and wiser from, I think we had a 10-year-old up until about a, an AARP member, a senior citizen. We'll say it that way, okay? We got on a plane. Some of us flew to Minnesota. Some of us flew to New Orleans. Some of us flew to... Denver, and we all met in New Orleans and drove out to Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. And we were ministering to people who had lost everything in Hurricane Katrina. I mean, everything. This church, where we were at, the concrete would have been standing. That's probably it. Just the, that's how big a storm it was. You guys remember? And that's where we were. And so, First Baptist Church, Bay St. Louis, can I get a shout out? I just did. They housed us. And what we did is we got up, a bunch of us, and we sought work orders. There was very organized. They would fill out work orders. And so me being the leader with a couple of other people helping me lead, go, let's go to this place. About 25 of us, 30 of us. I don't think the whole team went. And so I called the gentleman. I said, hey, Fred or Frank or Joe or Bob, we'll be there in half an hour. And he said, can't wait to see you. i got a lot of work. I said, sweet. So we got in our cars and we drove down to Fred or Frank or Bob or Joe's or whoever's house 
and nobody was there. We didn't have our iPhones yet, so, oh, that was a long time ago, right? We were working on cell phones and different logistics, and we kind of scoped the property. It was damaged. And so we waited another 15 minutes. And then we decided, since our time was precious, we can't wait for Fred or Joe or Bob or Dan or whoever. All day, we need to move on to the next place. So we gathered in a circle and we prayed. And our prayer, the theme of it, not because we're great, was God, take us wherever you want us to go today. Let us be like Jesus. That's a good prayer. So we called another gentleman. His name was Gene. He talked like with the Creole accent. I could barely understand him. I'm like, sure, whatever. I might have promised him the world. I couldn't even understand him on the phone. But he basically said, Dave, I have 15 pieces of sheetrock that I need help moving upstairs to the third floor. Sheetrock's big. He was older and kind of handicapped. I said, we'll be there. God directed us, and I hope this hammers in the point of what Jesus is talking about, to Jean Bergeron's home on August 9, 2006. He did have a work order, but it was lacking. We showed up to his house and saw the sheetrock, but then saw the utter devastation. Gene's property hadn't been touched in 11 months. Gene had a three-story house on the bayou that he built himself. It took him about eight years. And he and his wife, Laura, and their grandson was li were living in a FEMA trailer in the dead of summer in Mississippi and doing the best they could, not complaining, just that's life. Laura had been recently diagnosed with cervical cancer like a month before. Gene, a week before, found his mother-in-law dead in the backyard. She died of a stroke. Gene called his mother-in-law his second mom. That's how close they were. So we showed up, not knowing what we're doing, but just praying, God, let us be like Jesus. Take us where you want to take us to the worst week in Gene and Laura's life, and we work with them for five days straight just ministering to them. That's all we did. Yeah, we did a little carpentry. Is the house still standing? I hope so. Not our doing. We did some other stuff, but we loved Gene and his family. We showed up on Gene's birthday, August 9th. God does things like that, folks. He's not just out there in the cosmos spinning his little webs going, let me really shake up this planet. He is intricately involved in our lives when we obey him. That's the piece Jesus is getting at. How much do you want is this passage? How much grace and mercy and light and hope and love do you want to walk in? I have it all, Jesus says. You don't have to manipulate my father, Jesus says. You don't have to pray and go, if you get me out of this one, God. You ever been there? Don't lie in church. I will serve you the rest of my what? Days? That prayer lasts about seven days, amen? But God is good. We don't have to approach our Father like that. We simply have to say, I want more. I want more of you and what you're doing. I want more of your spirit. How does that happen? We read the word. There's no, there's no way around it. We read the word. But how do we read it? We're learning this. We don't just go to some obscure thing and go, oh, that's the word of the day. We read everything with a small w, the word of God, through the big w, the word of God, Jesus Christ. Because he has come to fulfill what was told. And by fulfilling it, he actually ramps it up, remember? He says, I'm the fulfillment. 
I'm going to go to Calvary to do a bunch of stuff you can't even comprehend. We can comprehend some of it. Then I'm asking you, forgiven child, to walk in a manner worthy to do my father's business. Be a part of the family. And family business is asking, seeking, and knocking to have more of the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, example, obedience, love, grace, mercy. I don't want to hear any more about election. I want to hear Christians talk about that. Let us be more like Christ, and it will all work itself out. Someone's going to win on November 9th. Half the country's not going to like it. Maybe more than half. I don't know. So we get that. But Jesus is still going to say on November 9th, ask, seek, knock of my heavenly Father. And he does a little interesting thing. I love the humanity of Jesus. This is interesting. There was four brothers but half-brothers of Jesus. I don't want to get technical, but Jesus didn't have really a half-brother. He kind of had step-brothers, even though they were born from Mary. Does that make sense? Because Jesus was different. But growing up, the scriptures teach us, John and other places, that his half-brothers didn't believe he was God. I love that. Because you've got to read between the lines, right? Because if I would have made this story up, or we would go see it in Hollywood... We would know from 18 months old that Jesus was God. And maybe in some ways we did, because we see him in the temple at 12, teaching and doing all this amazing stuff. But the picture we get of his brothers, especially James, and here it is, I'm not to confuse it, not James and John and Peter, not that, you know, sons of thunder and everything, a different James was Jesus' half-brother who became the pastor in Jerusalem. So he grew up not believing, and then the deal was sealed when Jesus bodily resurrected, appeared to his at least half-brother at this time, and James was all in, and he was martyred in 62. He was all in. But I love how the Bible teaches that Jesus' half-brothers didn't fall down and worship him when he was 12 years old and go, you're the Messiah. That teaches us about Jesus. That teaches us about who we're asking to be more like and more of. What does that teach us? Think in church. It's okay. It teaches us that Jesus was a human being. It teaches us that Jesus showed dignity and compassion and kindness to people, even if he disagreed with them or they didn't believe. In fact, in John, early on in John, his brothers say, why are you hanging around here? Go with where the people are falling all over for you. That's my paraphrase. But there was a point where they received him as Savior, where they believed and they were changed. But in the humanity of Christ, Jesus isn't asking you or I to become a religious nut with a whacked website. He's asking you and me to ask on his behalf through his blood to our Heavenly Father to give us good gifts. Mercy. Make me more merciful, Lord. Make me more gracious. God already promised to take care of us with provision. Amen? It was the last chapter. It's all good. In the Lord's Prayer. God already knows what we need before we ask. Don't be anxious about that. Let me have more fruit of the Spirit. Let me be kinder, especially to those who might be in what? Opposition. Jesus teaches us, 
If you're only kind to those who are kind to you or to someone who you can get something from, you're just like the people who don't believe. I want you to go what? The extra mile so you're not bound by any law but the law of love. See how this whole sermon is coming to a crescendo? And next week we'll talk about 712. Do unto others as you would wish them do unto you. And then the narrow door and wide road or narrow gate, it's all coming to a head. And Jesus is saying what? Ask for more. Ask. Quickly, James 4. I'll finish here. This is James, pastor in Jerusalem. Many, many church We'll say fathers, but people who lived in the first and second century saw this initially as a commentary from James on the Sermon on the Mount. So the teachings of Jesus and Jesus' gospel was so ingrained in James that he wrote a commentary or a letter in James chapter 4, verse 1. James, a little bit older, nearing his death, maybe not knowing he was martyred, but he says this. Speaking to Christians, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? If you're you're not familiar with church history, that's probably in some ways good, in some ways bad. This is a common theme the last 2,000 years, amen? Christians fighting. (laughs) And James is dealing with it in the first century. And he says this, is it not that your passions are at war within you? Christians, this must be about the people in Vegas. No, it's about Christians in a church, in and around Jerusalem, going through the same thing you and I go through. (coughs) There's a link here geopolitically, but he's talking about what wars with us internally. Verse 2, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And look at the end of verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask. This is about asking, seeking, and knocking. And even the early church was getting them wrong. They were asking and desiring about things that were called passions Lusts, not just sexual. They were objectifying each other to get on top of one another and achieve. And James says, that's not what prayer is for. Prayer and asking is for asking the good things that God gives, namely himself, what we talked about. Verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. That's the war going on inside, the things that war for us. When we ask more of God via the way he prescribed the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, striving after Jesus' example, the peace that comes is the different treaties that are raised in your heart when your heart wars against yourself. The Holy Spirit comes and brings peace to the desert of our hearts and says, I'm going to help you with that passion. I'm going to help you with that lust. And again, not just sexually, but I'm going to help you with that greed and desire. That's what happens practically. And Christians have been struggling with it for a long, 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 long time. Thank you, Pastor James, right? 
And I'll end with this little note. Jesus then gives us in Luke 11 a word picture of how to ask. Jesus in Luke 11 says, the kingdom of God is like this, you know, ask like this. He's going to talk about asking and not going to receive, but then he tells us this little story. And he says, suppose you are a person, and suppose, I'm going to put it in real time. I love Vin. Vin comes from Minnesota to come visit me. He lives in Minnesota. Vin's plane arrives at 3 a.m. and he Ubers because he's, he's good like that, right? Vin, you Uber. That's good, right? He shows up and he knocks on the door and he says, my flight was early, so I know you're not expecting me till 10, but I'm here. And I go, Jessica, Vin's here. And Jessica, being awesome, goes, go get him something to eat. I'm going back to bed. And I'm like, that's a good idea, right? That's, what, that's good. Amen, right? I go, yeah. And I go look in the cupboard and because... I didn't go shopping, and because it's my fault, there ain't nothing there. And I go, uh-oh, Vin's my boy. I got to get Vin something. He's like, I could really use something. This is culturally appropriate where we live in time. And I go knock on my neighbor's house, and my neighbor's name is Jaime. Jaime, help me out. And Jaime's a nice guy, but it's 3 in the morning. Get away from me. That's what I hear, right? Everyone else is like, yeah, I'm getting the baseball bat or whatever, right? And then I go, oh. and Jaime goes, the gate's locked, and uh, the servants are asleep, and no, Amina's asleep, no. Jaime, you don't understand, Ben's here. He's, it's from Minnesota. Now, we can debate forever whether I don't want to be shamed or what's my insecurity. I'm just telling the story at this point. And Jaime goes, go to bed or I will call the authorities. I'm like, Jaime ain't calling the cops. There ain't no way. I watch this kid every day. That's good, right? And he reasons to himself, Jaime, I'm going to get up and give Dave some bread so I can go back to what? Sleep. Then Jesus says, ask, seek, knock, and Luke. Jesus says, be like that with your heavenly father. Be a pest with dad. Dad, I need some mercy right now. But I just asked for that three minutes ago. Dad's good, trust me. Your Heavenly Father's good. I need some help with forgiveness. I thought I got over this, Dad, but I need help. Okay, I'm here. Jesus tells that story about the kingdom of heaven. How we're supposed to be persistent with our Heavenly Father. Dad. Sorry, Dave Bray. Not persistent with the new car. Maybe, in some ways, but persistent. Hear this teaching. It's Jesus' teaching. Ask boldly of your Heavenly Father, but ask correctly, not to waste it on our passions, which war with us. We'll get there if we ask and seek and knock for the things that he told us to, namely the Holy Spirit. Father, breathe in me. Help me. Let me be light to this dark world. Let me be salt. Do that this week, church. Amen? Amen. Do that in the next six weeks in this country. Amen? Do that for decades with our lives. Amen? Let's stand. I'll pray. Stand if you can. Vin, we got you fed. That was the good part, right? When we came home. I'm going to pray. And we'll be done. Please fellowship with each other. We have a dinner here October 5th. Nothing this Wednesday. The next Wednesday. If it is this hot, we will be barbecuing. We will let you know. We'll see. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for 
giving us the freedom to ask persistently and almost aggressively and almost annoyingly to you, Father. Give us the desires and the wants to ask for the good things that you offer. The Holy Spirit himself. Convict us gently, encourage us powerfully, and let us walk out of this church changed not from anything that was said, but the truth that was heard. Jesus, glorify your people this week. In Jesus' name, amen.